This is the Permaculture Podcast. I'm Scott Mann. In this episode, Rihanna Kowalsik and I discuss direct action and mutual aid to get seeds into the hands of people who want to grow food. Using that same overlay to find and connect with local allies and organizations to spread the message and amplify our impact. Throughout, she uses her work with Slow Food and the program she started, Share a Seed, as effective on-the-ground models to inspire and encourage you in your next steps for local change. Enjoy this conversation with Rihanna, and I'll join you again after. Share a Seed was an outgrowth, came at the very beginning of the pandemic. You know, really, it was this perfect storm of a lot of interest and excitement around gardening and growing, but absolutely no way to do it because all the supply lines had been cut. And so this was a way that I thought would not take resources away from people who are already struggling, but actually create abundance in a time of scarcity. Before we move into the kind of individual side of things, I was wondering if you could talk a bit about the impacts that slow food is having on connecting people to the resources that they need to find good, healthy, nutritious food. You know, whether that is outreach at our farmer's market, letting people know what's available or on the policy level. On the national level, I've been really excited to see Slow Food USA, I think kind of taking this long turn, you know, like a large ship, right? It takes a little longer to turn the larger ships than the smaller ones. Toward policy and activism and advocacy, Slow Food, um, for folks who don't know, was founded around 1979 in Italy by Carlo Petrini, really as a direct reaction to the fast foodification of, of Italy. And it really did start out as this radical protest advocacy movement. And somewhere along the way, I think particularly in the U.S., not as much in Europe, but it kind of lost that, lost that advocacy tie and kind of became this movement, maybe not always rightly so, maybe it was a little bit stereotyped, but became seen as this movement for like the gourmand. And there was so much more going on, but that was kind of the, the MO that it got. And I think over the years of me personally working with the Slow Food, Food and Farm Policy Committee at the national level and working at the chapter level, I've been really heartened to see that the national Slow Food organization is now really getting more involved in policy and taking our policy recommendations, you know, engaging Congress, weighing in in policy groups and, and being really involved in advocacy and part of that community too, because the grassroots community and the policy community absolutely overlap, but they're not always the same. So for instance, most recently, they've been supportive of the protests at the UN Food Summit because they've not been inclusive and they've been very sort of under a corporate purview. So really excited to see that kind of engagement. At the chapter level, that's really where the action's always been and continues to be. So Every chapter does their own thing. There are some state chapters like California kind of dances to the beat of its own drummer. So there is a slow food in California, whereas there's not necessarily a slow food insert other state here. Most of them are at a city level, but not all of them. And that's really where that activity is happening with food access, with local policy, with community engagement. And that's, that's really exciting. I was wondering if you could speak to like your personal experiences, both with Slow Food NYC and then Slow Food DC and what those chapters are doing. 
as a way then perhaps to inspire folks who are interested in finding a local chapter or starting a local chapter, knowing what some of these options and opportunities are that they might be able to engage in, or if they're not offered at their local level to start a program like that. I'll say, first of all, that slow food chapters, especially, I mean, even the large ones, but especially the small ones, because it's just easier to get involved. They really are directed by the interests of the people involved. So even if you didn't see that kind of activity already going on and you said, I'm really interested in food access, but I don't see, you know, Slow Food DC or, or Slow Food Topeka doing that. So I'm not going to get involved. Well, that is exactly the hope is that everyone brings their experience and expertise to the table. And that's the direction of the chapter. It's really shaped by the individual board members and community members. In Slow Food New York City, they are one of our really large, robust chapters. So they have lots and lots of capacity. I'm always jealous now that we know we're at a smaller chapter, but they are doing big things. They have a farm called Ujima in Brooklyn, an urban farm that they are teaching kids from the community how to get involved with gardening and growing and, and the, loving the land and all those wonderful things. That food is also donated. So that's a really large project of theirs. Of course, as I mentioned, they're also super involved in policy, local, state, and federal. So that can include making sure kids have nutritious food for lunch, making sure SNAP benefits are getting distributed, making sure there's double up programs at farmers markets. Here in DC, it's a little odd because you know we're we're a city state, so we have a little our levers of control are a little weirder, I would say. What I have tried to bring to the chapter is really that mutual aid overlay to so to say, how can we tie in our sort of events or education or what we're talking about? How can we support mutual aid groups? And so through Share a Seed, we've been able to have a lot of events that are partnering with mutual aid groups that Slow Food had not worked, the chapter hadn't worked with previously. And that's been super exciting for me. So we're partnering with groups like Plantita Power, who are an LGBTQIA plus group that really focuses on creating therapeutic queer spaces of color where there can be healing around horticulture partnering with uh, direct mutual aid groups that focus on food and clothing and shelter. That's really been an exciting way to do it. And as much as I love being part of Slow Food, I'll also say it doesn't have to be a formal structure. So even if there is, I mean, you can, if there's not a Slow Food chapter where you are, you can absolutely start one. National is always looking to help folks start new communities or new chapters. We would love to not just be in cities, you know, that happens to be where there's concentrations, but we do have more rural chapters and we would love more. But there's also many other civic groups or start your own. I mean, I started Share a Seed out of the ether and you can too, right? The point of programs like this, these mutual aid solidarity programs, is to sort of show like you don't have to have immense resources. Of course, it helps. It never hurts to have resources, but you can work with what you have and just start doing something. The structure will come. But if you just start doing something, people will see it and they'll get excited about it. And then you can start building. And, and that's really kind of how Share a Seed blossomed. So that's what I encourage folks to do. Could you dive a bit more into Share a Seed and how that's grown as like your personal initiative as something that people might take, again, some inspiration from if they have this idea that they want to grow? So Share a Seed started at the beginning of the pandemic, as I mentioned. You know, I saw this sort of perfect storm coming where people were starting to stay home, even right at the beginning. I think, I don't know if the emergency was declared in, in March, but even in January, people were starting to stay home. We were starting to scale back. 
and folks were thinking like, what can I do to, of course, first of all, stay alive, but second of all, you know, just keep myself sane and occupy myself. And there was this burgeoning, interesting growing and gardening, like everywhere suddenly people, you know, people were making sourdough firstly, but maybe secondly or thirdly, they were thinking about gardening. And that's awesome. And I thought, well, wonderful. We can get more people to be interested in this, you know, transform those grass lawns into something useful. At that same time that there was all this interest bubbling, there was no way to do it. Because if you tried to buy seeds, most of the major seed companies, at least by February or March, had stopped taking orders for um, non-commercial purchases. Of course, your local store was closed because all the stores shuttered. If it was still open, probably the rack was already removed because rack seed was being pulled to fill commercial and bulk orders. There was just no way to get the things you needed. I was working off of a glut, like most gardeners, of, of seed that I'd had from the last two years. So I didn't have that experience, but I'm seeing all these people interested. And I just thought, well, these resources are, are here. They're really already on the ground. And it's super important to me as someone who loves the land and loves growing and is still very much a novice and every day trying to learn more. I'm currently in my master gardener program. So working through that and I'm super excited to get to the volunteer portion so I can get that on the ground experience and fill in all the gaps I have. But I just thought, you know, we should take advantage of this moment and how can we do that? And so that's really where this leveraging the inspiration of all these wonderful mutual aid movements that have pre-existed this work and then thinking about, okay, the slow food network, would that be a way to help get the word out beyond, you know, my individual capacity? And so merging those things together, launched this pilot project with six slow food communities at the beginning of the pandemic, which was really exciting. And today is really concentrated here in DC with me, which is sort of a natural progression, but is doing so much more in DC than I ever could have hoped and, and really excited. So that's kind of how it started and happy to dig into the various ways it's, you know, vined off in different directions as well. How did you take that idea then and grow it into the real space so that you're out there and interacting with people and getting seeds into their hands? Yeah, there's been a lot of growth. It's really exciting. Maybe it comes from being a communications professional or just kind of a big personality, but it's a kind of the, the question about growing your own program before. It's like, just do it. Insert yourself. <laughs> like, make the space. If the space doesn't exist for you, make the space. I did that in a number of ways. I mean, the literal sort of day two or three launch was a little more structured in terms of we had a way for people, if they weren't close to any of the chapters, to actually mail in seeds as long as they were domestic. So we kind of had this like overlay of like, how do you send in stuff? What I told the other chapters from the beginning and what I've really had blossom here is the important part is the local work. It'd be awesome if someone, you know, in Nashville or Houston was sharing their extra seeds with us. But what we should focus on is the local activation. That's where we're really going to be able to put down roots. And that's exactly what we've done here. I do a lot of tabling at farmers markets, fresh farm manages most of the markets in this area and they've been incredibly gracious in letting me table and the tabling involves both me taking in extra seeds and me giving out seeds depending on the day I might have some seed planters and be able to help plant right there and then with someone and send them away with a little um, little seed starter that's been wonderful I'm doing events at breweries I'm doing events with Sarah Mock these book talks 
overlay into, I think, very well what Shara Seed is doing. We're doing garden work days or we're helping community gardens. Um, we just did a big community garden activation for Shara Seed at Upshur Community Garden, where we taught folks about cover cropping and how to prep their garden for fall and winter. And, you know, I also gave out some fall appropriate seeds, like those leafy greens or things that were good for planting. And it was really wonderful. So the activations are always different. I've done some where I just join a mutual aid partner when they're doing food distro and I have seeds and plants. So I stay open to any and all opportunities and see all of those as a way to like insert a conversation about seeds and growing and definitely try not to see it in a certain box. You know, if it's a, a brewery or a grocery store or a sidewalk or a community garden, those are all great opportunities to, to do stuff like this. What are some other impacts that you've seen through your work with Slow Food and Share a Seed of the pandemic on food and food access, both from a positive or a negative light? The both and, I mean, the experience of the, the pandemic, which we're still in, was really rough on everyone, is really rough on everyone, but especially lesser resource communities. And of course, being our one of two basic needs, food and water, was incredibly difficult. I mean, supply chains were tightened. We saw people that had never before needed support from a food pantry or a food bank were needing that. We had that absolute disaster with food box programs under President Trump and USDA Secretary Sonny Perdue, which was just a travesty. I had people, friends and neighbors showing me that they were getting food boxes with like takeaway ketchup packets in them. Like, what is, what is this? So there was unmitigated disaster. People were going hungry, really stressful. And I think slow food chapters across the country probably all, all took their own tap. Slow Food USA, I believe in 2020 is when they started something called the Resilience Fund, which is very cool. It's a new overlay for slow food, but we had waves of small grant funding for a variety of groups, for hospitality workers, for farmers of color. And I think there was one, another round that went out. And so that was a wonderful way for the national network to support. And I think chapters across the country did their own thing in terms of supporting food banks. I mean, here, I was really involved and am trying to stay involved in mutual aid support. And that's kind of how Share Seeds and Slow Food DC plugged in, trying to see like, how can I, I, I did a lot of like boxing up of food um, meals for folk, connecting with mutual aid groups that were doing uh, grocery purchasing and delivery, did some of those pickups because folks were housebound or weren't able to pick up food. And so I think the experience was incredibly negative and, and disastrous, but I don't want to bright side it because it's not a really a bright side, but in order to overcome those horrible tragedies, people really had to band together. And I'm hoping that those networks stay intact. Some journalist friends of mine who work on the agriculture beat at Politico actually put together this wonderful package of stories focusing on the recovery and how these various movements, not all of them being hyper small scale mutual aid, some of them being larger, but how we as communities built these systems to really help curb hunger and food access and how they're kind of continuing to stand up. And so we actually saw much less of a hit on folks, especially kids going hungry, I think because of the rapid response of community members. And some of their reporting really covers that um, in terms of we didn't see a huge jump in SNAP participants in the last year, things like that. So the, the way we've handled recovery in an economic sense 
as well as food access has helped prevent that. And I, I hope set a standard to say, hey, look, when you help folks with, when you give them the resources, they're able to build a foundation and feed their families and they can meet their other needs. And it's better for all of us. It's a hand up. And that's what we need to be focusing on. So, so that's what I'm, I'm seeing in that vein. Where would you suggest people go, you know, the Google search to enter into or a website to go to in order to learn more about mutual aid and get involved? Yeah. So I have a, a number of suggestions. I think on the, the most base level, the Google level, if you type in mutual aid and your city name, that's probably a great place to start. You will hopefully find some programs, but understand that mutual aid is meant to be hyper-local. And so they might not always have a website. I think most groups, because of the information age, probably have a Facebook or an Instagram or something, but don't count on them having a fully functional website or an email, but you might find some information that way. Through Slow Food, if you go to the Slow Food USA website, you can see if there's a chapter already where you are, if you're not sure, and there should be contact information there. Here in DC, Slow Food DC loves to connect to welcome new board members and community members. So it's, you know, Slow Food DC on all of the social channels and slowfooddc.org. So we welcome folks there. And that's also where a lot of the share seed information now lives on the Slow Food DC website and channels. For mutual aid, you know, I can focus mostly in DC and some groups that I've been really excited about. The ward-based mutual aid groups, I think, are some of the most prevalent and maybe the easiest to tap into. So I don't know if every single ward has one, but almost all of them do. And they're all called that. So Ward 1 Mutual Aid and Ward 4 Mutual Aid are two that I've worked with most closely. I know 2 and 3 and 6 also have them. So I think they're covered in most spaces. And then there are, are ones that are not named that way, like this wonderful woman, Kaya Parker, runs a program called Kyanite Pantry and Kyanite Kitchen, which is a group I've volunteered with. So that's a specific, you know, non-ward-based one that works in different communities and different areas. Tons of waste overlay there. And then I'll also put in a plug for if you are a liberal lefty and not super involved in politics, maybe consider checking in with your uh, local or national Democratic Socialists of America DSA chapter. I'm a DSA member. I have worked really hard to introduce a mutual aid overlay to what we do here in the DMV DSA. And I co-run a working group called Food Justice, where we're doing this gardening and growing work and, and doing a lot of mutual aid work too. So I think mutual aid solidarity, that's foundational to democratic socialism. So that might be a way to plug in too. And similar with Slow Food, if there's not a DSA chapter where you are, you can start one. In the time that we have remaining, I was wondering what you would share with us as your final thoughts. Yeah, thanks. Two things. One big picture policy piece, which is that our next farm bill, which is a, I won't try to explain it to you in five seconds, but is a massive piece of legislation that covers food access and farming and conservation and every single thing about how we exist in our food system and how we eat and how we grow is coming up. And that's something that you as an individual can get involved in. Even if your senator or representative is not on an agriculture committee, you can still send them your thoughts and you can say, hey, what are you doing about conservation in the farm bill? Or what are you doing about farm to school programs? All of those things are great ways to engage. So Definitely um, encourage folks to do a Google, type in farm bill, 
and start getting engaged there because by the time the general public is starts being in the news cycle, the decisions have already been made. So you want to get involved really early with that. Bringing it back down to the community level, I would just close and say, again, don't ever exclude the idea of strange bedfellows or partners and who's going to be helpful and who's not, because you don't know. As someone who's worked both in hospitality and policy and community food programs, it's so important to have all of those connections. I have benefited so much from really generous folks who are bartenders or servers or chefs or even brewery owners have really supported the work and helped me to elevate it, have given me spaces at dive bars where I can start gardening and growing at a dive bar. I mean, don't rule that out. Why not start gardening at a dive bar? Sure, you should definitely do that. That's the thing I'm super excited to do. And make connections to your community because you never know how it will show up. I'm really active at my farmer's market. And a quick story is that I was there one week as a shopper and the farmer who I frequent the most said, hey, they had folks working. Our truck broke down. We're not going to be able to pack up today. We know that you're involved in mutual aid. Can you help us? donate like 70 pounds of leafy greens that are going to spoil because we can't get them back to the cooler. And, you know, I was so glad that they asked me that I was able to hop on my phone. I I said yes, immediately, even though I had no idea how we were going to handle that. I just figured, you know, I'm going to say yes, and we'll figure it out. And we were able to get those 70 pounds of leafy greens to Kyanite Kitchen and Pantry with Kaya Parker. And she was able to use them in her meal prep and her meals for the community. And so Just the fact that they knew that I had that connection and we were connected enough for them to ask me led to a really great result. So, you know, always tell people about the work, tell people about what you're interested in and make those connections because you never know. You could be gardening at a dive bar tomorrow or or helping get a leafy greens to a family the next day. And that was Rihanna Kowalsik. Rihanna Share a Seed and Slow Food DC are at slowfooddc.org. This conversation ends the individual interviews in the Permaculture Land and Land Access series. In the next episode, you'll hear from each of the guests again as they share their thoughts and insights on what we can do to improve land access for those who want to grow food. Until then, spend each day working to get seeds and food where they're needed while taking care of Earth, yourself, and each other.